0: Thank you so much for tuning in again to this episode of Black and Fashion. So for this episode, I'm going to have two parts combined into one. For the first part, I'm going to do a brief profile on designer Anifa Mwemba and her 3D rendered fashion show that she launched about a month ago. The show was absolutely everything, so I knew I had to talk about it as soon as I saw it. The second part will be a discussion with two of my favorite creatives, Brooke and Diego from The Highlight. We're going to talk about all sorts of things as it relates to fashion, this pandemic, and the revolution that's happening before our very eyes. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this episode. My name is CJ and welcome to Black in Fashion, a podcast that highlights key black figures who have impacted the world of fashion as we know it today, as well as those who continue to influence this ever-changing industry. Each episode, we'll profile different people from past to present, as well as conduct interviews and engage in dialogue around race and diversity within the fashion industry. On May 22nd of this year, the fashion world was taken by storm as Congolese American designer Anifa Mwemba launched her premiere collection on Instagram Live using 3D renderings of her entire collection, which was supposed to originally premiere at New York Fashion Week. This virtual fashion show was shown with a black backdrop as 3D rendered garments virtually walked across the runway without a model to fill them. It was absolutely mesmerizing and almost haunting to watch these full-figure garments move so seamlessly across the dark runway without a model to fill them. The show really allowed the audience to focus on the garments instead of the models, the backdrops, or even the scene. You were immediately captured by the fact that you were witnessing a virtual fashion show with each garment being just as striking as the one before and after it. So the collection featured a backless mini dress that was done in the colors of the Congolese flag, blue, red, and yellow. When the designer was interviewed by British Vogue, she stated that the red represents the blood, suffering, and oppression that the Congolese people have gone through. The blue is the peace, and the yellow represents the hope and the future of the Congo. There was also a denim jumpsuit with ruching and ruffling detail, a common technique done by Congolese seamstresses. And one of my personal favorite looks was this floor-length, asymmetrical silk dress that depicts the Congo River. It also has the sky and the nature surrounding it. It was absolutely breathtaking. Another important thing to note about this capsule collection entitled Pink Label Congo was that it wasn't just a fashion show for the sake of fashion. Before the collection was shown, the show prefaced with a video that brought awareness to issues surrounding Colton mining in the Congo and throughout different parts of Africa. Now for those of you who aren't familiar with Colton mining, which is fine because I certainly didn't before this research, Colton is a mineral that's used in most electronics, one of the main ones being cell phones. So the mining conditions are absolutely terrible. And she wanted to bring awareness to the child labor, the dangerous working conditions, the way the mining impacts the water and air quality of the surrounding area. And to really ensure that these people's voices who are affected by this mining don't go unheard. I found it very meaningful that she used her platform, not just her platform, but her virtual premiere to celebrate the beauty of Congolese culture, but also bring awareness to the issues facing this in so many other countries. Now, Nifa had already toyed with the idea of a digital show, but when the pandemic really started kicking off, she saw it as the perfect opportunity. Now, she'd been working towards a show at New York Fashion Week and made it, but with everything going on, she literally said screw the fashion calendar we're just going to show now and we are so glad that she did that so the show was groundbreaking for a ton of reasons but i love that this designer seemed to come out of nowhere for a lot of people believe it or not anifa and the hanifa brand have been around since 2012 so who is anifa anifa was born in the democratic republic of the congo and moved to the united states with her family when she was just a toddler Now, though she hadn't been back to live there since, she's always felt a very strong connection to her homeland and proudly considers herself Congolese. Now, her parents didn't approve of her going to school for fashion, but that didn't stop her from taking fashion classes at Morgan State University of Baltimore or picking up a few sewing skills from her aunt. I read an article from Fast Company that talks about a time when Anifa created a dress for herself from scratch. When her friends saw the dress, they loved it so much they wanted it in their sizes and before she knew it, the designer was born. She started learning design in 2011 and launched her brand Hanifa in 2012 at the age of 21. Hanifa is a contemporary ready-to-wear apparel brand that's described as both feminine and chic. The collections come in sizes 0-20 to 20 and range in pricing from $50-$500, making it much more affordable than a lot of other contemporary ready-to-wear brands. Now, unlike many designers, Anifa didn't go to school for fashion, or take on an apprenticeship, or even really network with most of the industry players. Instead, she utilized her own skills in social media and technology to build her brand. She's built a successful direct-to-consumer business that generated $1 million in revenue just last year, and her styles have been worn by names like Lizzo, Kelly Rowland, and Kylie Jenner. So she's done all of this without having a single brick-and-mortar location for a majority of her time in the industry. Now this just goes to show you the power of social media and innovation. She's built her career as a fashion designer from stepping outside of the box and taking her own path into the industry. And that can be very challenging, especially in fashion, to not just break into the industry, but to also navigate through a growing social media following and attention from celebrities. She was selected by Teen Vogue for a mentorship program called Generation Nets, and that helps young designers network with industry insiders pretty much. This was actually the program that was going to help Anifa launch her first fashion show in February for New York Fashion Week. But as you can see, Anifa was able to take it to the next level after New York Fashion Week was canceled. This sort of forward thinking innovation is going to be key as designers, new and old, find ways to really navigate the industry during this age of social unrest and a global pandemic. One of my favorite quotes from Anifa was when someone asked her about her inspiration and she said, and I quote, I have black women in mind when I design. I create silhouettes to work for our bodies and complexions. So if you haven't already seen this collection, please do yourself a favor and check out the brand on Instagram at Hanifa Official. That's H-A-N-I-F-A Official. O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. Her capsule collection called Pink Label Congo is also available online on her website. It's very well worth the watch, but you can also shop the full collection at Hanifa.co. That's Hanifa.co. Stay tuned for the second part of this show as I connect with two of my favorite content creators to discuss how the fashion industry is going to be impacted by all the changes we're witnessing today. So I am very excited to have two amazing guests joining me this episode, Brooke and Diego from The Highlight. The Highlight is a next generation fashion and beauty content driven platform that allows users to shop their favorite shows and be a part of their clean media movement via their Media for Good mission. Brooke Cherie is an Atlanta based entrepreneur and fashion tech founder. While studying at the University of Georgia in her undergrad, Brooke started the agency, which was the first and only campus modeling agency that transformed fashion on campus and valued community service overall. The agency was so successful that it now sits the fits to the university as a permanent organization. Now, along with her online intimate apparel brand, Brooke Cherie Lingerie, Brooke is the current CEO of The Highlight. Diego Torres is an Atlanta-based social media, PR, and marketing specialist. He's helped several businesses throughout Atlanta with their digital media strategies and communication initiatives. This fellow fashion enthusiast has now added entrepreneur to his title as the COO of The Highlight. So this will be Brooke's second time on Black and Fashion and Diego's very first time. So without further ado, let us welcome Brooke and Diego to Black and Fashion. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode.
1: Thank you for having us, super excited to be here.
0: Thank you. As we all know, the fashion industry is facing a reckoning. Like between the global pandemic and social unrest throughout the world, there is just so much change happening before our very eyes across all industries. But fashion as we know it was long overdue for some major changes. One thing I wanted to start on was the fashion calendar. So for those of you that aren't familiar, the fashion calendar, it's pretty much the planning tool for fashion designers, press, retailers, PR, and everyone else within the industry. It's where you can find the key dates for events, for fashion weeks, um, and it was acquired by the CFDA in 2014. So fashion wasn't, and it still isn't, prepared for the world we're in today. So right now, you can still see upcoming events if you go to the website, scheduled for July to December and I didn't click on every link but I know the Okotor show scheduled for July 6th and 8th is supposed to be holding some sort of online event and that'll probably be streamed on some major platforms but these are unprecedented times for the fashion industry. Pre-covid the fashion calendar was already being called into question. Designers and consumers alike were starting to question the purpose of well, the purpose and the necessity of collection after collection and a seemingly never-ending cycle of fashion shows. But back in February, before things started shutting down in the U.S., um, the chairman of CFDA, Tom Ford, who we all know and love, um, he premiered his fall 2020 ready-to-wear collection in Hollywood during New York Fashion Week, which you know was already a big deal. He was already breaking the seal during the buzz about reforming Fashion Week. So since then we've had names like Saint Laurent, Gucci, Alexander Wong, Michael Kors, Armani, Marc Jacobs, the list goes on. But plenty of people have sort of dismissed the fashion calendar by either not showing anything this year, postponing until next year or you know, releasing collections on their own cadence. Aside from Anifa Mwembe, you also have Kirby Jean Raymond at Pierre Moss, who's also thinking outside of the box by staging a drive-in movie premiere to present his collection and documentary called American. With all of these changes happening to the fashion calendar, I'd love to get you guys' take on this. So tell me, what do you think the fashion calendar will look like in years to come? Or will one even exist?
1: You know, I'd like to think that the fashion industry is innovative enough to stick to, you know, an initiative once it starts. I think the great thing that we've seen during COVID and you mentioned Kirby of Moss and I think that he's always been innovative. Whatever initiative that, he, that he's coming up with this year in particular isn't unique to, you know, being in a global pandemic. I would like to see the fashion industry stick to the, a new version of the fashion calendar um, in which we really slow down and become intentional about the products that we're releasing. But I think in some ways it you know, offers up opportunity for people who are true creatives, people who are innovative to really catapult themselves into the spotlight.
2: Exactly, those that, will, those that are true creatives will stand out <laughs> enormously right now. I'm excited to see that because, honestly, I wouldn't want a traditional fashion calendar because fashion is such a storytelling industry. I would really want people to push their creative um, lens out there, you know, and strive for something more captivating and engaging with people because that's what they want right now. They want to engage with it. They want to know the backstories more. I was thinking back of, like, an example back in the 1920s when they discovered that Egyptian tomb. So many designers were pulling inspiration from that, even to the point where, like, Art Deco became a major um, staple of that time period. So things like that, like pulling from society and movements that are happening, and discoveries, and maybe things like that. You know.
0: So, do you feel like the fashion calendar is necessary? Like, do you feel like in the future it'll even exist or? you know, how how different do you think it'll look? You know, we've sort of talked about what could happen, but, you know, looking at the current climate in regards to the future, what do you think? Would do you think that the fashion calendar will still be necessary?
1: I honestly feel like for a long time, the fashion calendar hasn't been necessary. I think some of the most successful brands have dictated when they're going to release product um, and they have been sort of rebellious and haven't stuck to what, you know, traditional fashion, the, the traditional fashion calendar dictated. So, as I mentioned, Kirby is one of the first people that we heard of that was like, I'm just going to basically do my own thing. And the way I'm going to release this collection um, really feels like a direct-to-consumer brand in that there aren't any, you know, hierarchies that he's have, having to answer to. He's really being grassroots and speaking with the consumer you know, hearing what they actually want from him and producing products intentionally. So I think in the future, we don't have a choice as an industry, but to start listening to the people who are buying our products. And I think now that we've experienced a global pandemic, people's spending habits are going to be different. So we have to alter things to accommodate what that may look like. I also think in this period of civil unrest, you know, people are spending their money with brands that they feel like support them. So the fashion calendar is no different. When you actually release a product and when, you know, buyers go in to to purchase that, I think that digital has always, has been the reason why there was a need for the fashion calendar to change anyway. Adding to that, people are trying to hold luxury accountable for being inclusive. That is really putting fashion in a predicament where they have to Be very intentional about the products they're releasing, very intentional about how often they're releasing those products and being really rephrasing how they look at fashion and and their waste in general. So the future of the fashion industry depends on people sticking to this. And I think that young people who are coming up are going to only support brands monetarily that are organically steeped in sustainability and doing good by the people who purchase their products.
0: Yeah, to add on to that, I love that you've mentioned um, sustainability as well, because that's another huge part of the conversation surrounding the fashion calendar. All things considered, global pandemic, global unrest, is it feasible for all the buyers and the press and the designers to come to every single show all around the world? Granted, that's something that's really more concentrated to a certain market week and even a certain buyer and certain type of retailer. But, you know, that is one thing that's been called into question. Is this even sustainable? Do we need to travel several times a year for the different collections when, you know, we live in a different age? There's technology. The fashion calendar was made decades ago before we were able to stream and things like that. So I think that's also a really good point that you brought up as much as we love fashion, the next big collection isn't top of mind for people who are either fighting for their lives against this deadly virus or fighting police brutality in the streets. So I personally always allude to post-French Revolutionary fashion, where the people moved away from the extravagance of the aristocracy and things sort of begin to simplify. You know, excess was just added fuel to the flames of the revolution. So it was almost dangerous to be seen walking around in the finest garments because it went against everything the revolution stood for. Now, I don't think that people are going to go around beating people up for sporting Hermes or anything like that, but it does make you think about how we as a society have prioritized high-end designer brands. So with that being said, how do you think... Today's climate could impact designer brands and their social hierarchy
2: That's a really good question. Um, I think the, the biggest takeaway that the hierarchy of fashion and these big branded names can do is, like Brooks said earlier, listen to your audience and your customers because they are, they're voicing it. Everything we've seen it from the past like 10, 20 years, they want the representation, they want some sort of affordability, but there's a unique challenge to the industry. Those The hierarchy brands, a lot of the buy-in to them is just the level of exclusivity. And people love that because if something becomes a little too accessible to everybody, the fear and the saying is that people will get bored of it and then you know not buy into it. We've seen it with other brands in the past, but I don't know if what that means for the future of a brand. And that's one interesting challenge that they will have. The biggest takeaway that would help them would be to listen through social listening, from the comments, from the likes, and from trial and error, honestly. We're gonna see a lot of that. We're gonna see some succeed and some unfortunately fail through this whole new fashion system. Um, And it's gonna set a whole new movement for everybody.
1: One of the things that the pandemic, you know, did was allowed people to truly, without distraction, see the social unrest that was happening across, you know, the world. The social climate has has definitely had way more traction this time around because people don't have sports to look to right now um, and be distracted by. People don't have, you know, the fashion industry putting out, you know, fashion show after fashion show to keep you sort of engaged with something, something that can take your attention away from what's happening. I also think that in the case of George Floyd, the fact that you were able to see this man die on camera, hear him in his last moments, I think shook people in a way that others haven't shaken people. I think for the first time, people who potentially aren't even Black people saw themselves in in that video in some form or another whether it were was the bystanders or whether it was the police himself doing the action and i think that um designer brands are having they're being held accountable right now because for so long these brands have capitalized on black culture in one way or another whether it's you know taking from black creatives without replenishing anything in the community whether it's selling, you know, to us, us, you know, Black people contributes to, you know, the global economy yearly. I think it's something like $1 trillion or probably more than that. I didn't even look up the statistic prior to this call. But I know for certain that this moment is different because we are now asking of brands to speak out and not in a way that feels inauthentic, not in a way that You know, in the past, they've been able to sort of skirt past these subjects and continue selling to us. Now we're actually asking them to do something. So I think the social hierarchy of brands will shift. I think we're going to see a lot more um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color ascending in their roles in these corporate structures. And if a business is smart, they'll strategically hire Black, Indigenous, and people of color to fill roles in their executive suites. Uh, Because I don't think. Brands have a future without Black people. I don't think brands have a future without true inclusivity that isn't romanticized and that isn't something that is palatable for most people to see. I think it requires, you know, the grit that we're seeing right now, and I think that brands have no choice but to change.
2: Amen.
0: Yes, you both made really great points there. Um, I do think that we're going to see a huge shift in. And sort of the social hierarchy when it comes to fashion. I mean, it's sort of already been happening in the realm of sustainability, but a lot of grassroots brands have been on the rise. A lot of startup brands have been on the rise. And like you both mentioned, a brand really has to stand for something because the customer is watching, the customer is paying attention. You know, it's funny, I even think about like how how Ben and Jerry responded to everything going on and how that's really resonated with people because they really went there. And it'll be interesting to see which which brands or which companies are actually willing to go there.
2: Honestly, that's such a good point. And I'm so glad you brought up Ben and Jerry's because that's something so exciting to see. And they've been doing amazing work and have been, in my opinion, setting such a great bar! I keep thinking these like elite people in fashion are just looking in in awe at, at Ben and Jerry's, just being like they they really put it out there like that. That I, and you know questioning themselves as to what they could be doing.
1: I agree. It's important to note that like when the looting started, a lot of the brands that you know we're talking about fashion brands in particular were brands that were intentionally looted by people. Obviously, I do believe that much of the looting was separate from the protest, but the looting in and of itself was an act of protest. And it was that action that got people talking. It got people so uncomfortable, people who hadn't said anything, people who were silent to what was happening, or maybe they thought they didn't have the words. It wasn't until capitalism was threatened that people said, hold on a second now, what are they actually asking us to do? is it a post that we need to post? Is it money that we need to give? Like, who do we need to pay off to get everybody to stop breaking in stores? And I think it's important to note going forward that in order for a brand to be relevant, you know, five, 10 years from now, they're going to have to authentically align with causes beyond posting a black square, donating one time and trying to contribute to a cause because this is the trend of the moment. It's really about how do we educate people on the inside of these corporations?
2: And as Brooke said, you know, in the past, they would just be able to, to send out a cute little press release, you know, a light apology. People would still be angry and then you wouldn't hear anything about it. But I don't think that that will be the norm anymore. And it can't be the norm anymore. And that's why I personally want to stress to everyone, don't forget we have the power. The people have the power. Kirby Today gave a really good statement for an interview talking about um, defunding the police where he noted that and said, if you hurt their pockets, they are going to, they're forced to pay attention, to listen. Those that are willing to evolve and grow with the demand will do just that. They will evolve. And those that are not in it for real, they're going to fall.
0: I know I hear a lot of things about cancel culture and some people speak of being over it. Personally, I love it. And I love it because it's not so much about the trend of canceling so much as it so much as it is about holding people accountable. It's, you know, if you get canceled because you said this wildly offensive thing one year ago, well, I mean, a year ago, you didn't have to answer to that. And now
2: look. <laughs> so personally,
0: I'm here for the whole cancel culture thing.
2: You and me both. I love it. I think it's great and I think so many things can't be excused anymore because of if you're not sure about something, you can easily do a Google search and find out. Brooke, what was that article that day's magazine release where influencers were doing like blackface as a form of solidarity, which is absurd and it's beyond me how someone thought this is good, this is okay for me to paint half my face black for you.
1: Exactly. I mean, just simply put, people just need to do better. I think you mentioned it perfectly that Google is available free of charge for most people with internet. There are so many people who are incredible resources for people who have questions and who don't know, you know where to get their answers from. I'm, I'm personally not one of those people. Um, at this point, I am not interested anymore in educating people free of charge for information that is out there free of charge. So I do believe that brands especially can um, either cut a check or they can um, simply do their due diligence and, and, and learn from people who've been doing this grassroots work forever. Like we have 400 years of um, information to pull from. So I do think at this point, brands have no excuse.
0: Awesome, awesome insight into everything we're talking about right now. I'm loving it. So I opened this episode talking about the 3D rendered fashion show by Hanifa for two reasons. One, it was absolutely amazing. And I don't know if you were able to um, watch it. I personally didn't get to watch it when it was happening, but I did catch it later. But I know that that show put a bug in a lot of people's ear. It really shows the importance and the power of innovation. So remember, Anifa, she had never shown a collection at New York Fashion Week prior. So this was her premiere and everyone in and outside of the industry were talking about it. So no matter how you look at it, the world as we know it is changing. And so from you guys' perspective, how important is innovation
2: at a time like this? Super important. Super important.
1: I agree. I think um, innovation is the only thing, is is probably the the most incredible and important ingredient to any brand taking off and any brand um, having relevancy in the next five to 10 years this culture of people biting off people's concepts is no longer going to fly because these these kids these young people are so prepared like we've never seen it before they've right. seen the mistakes that designers before them had to make they've seen the people who've had to crawl so they could walk and run and i think that i think the the most beautiful thing about innovation being at the forefront right now is that it's always been innate for people of color I think that it's sort of, you know, the two, in the Tupac example of the rose that grew from concrete, it's like, long live the rose that grew from concrete. And, and that's most Black people in this country. We've had to go through so much hardship, but still, we're here. And that sort of resiliency only breeds innovation and creativity. So it's going to be the dreamers. It's going to be the innovators. It's going to be Black culture, independent artists, creatives that continue to push the envelope um, and that we'll be hearing about in the next couple of years or so.
2: Totally. I think it's an exciting time for sure. And it's our time because we have the world paying attention. A lot of exciting things are going to come. And like I said, we're going to see some people really change it up, um, starting from Anifa and what she did. And I think, honestly, that show was better than anything at New York Fashion Week. That got a million, over a million people watching, like, amazing.
0: So for my listeners that don't already know, Black and Fashion is absolutely obsessed with the highlight. I truly do admire both of you guys, Brooke and Diego for the work that you do. And one of the wonderful things about the highlight is that they partner with creatives within the fashion and beauty industry to give a voice to independent artists, designers, creators, and brands that you may not find in the pages of Vogue or even business of fashion. As many know, I'm a lover of fashion and fashion history, but I admittedly am not always the most up to date with some industry news. So I thought you guys could help me out for this last question. With the industry being at such a standstill between this pandemic and protests, who do you think will be the next fashion leaders of tomorrow?
1: You know, I honestly think conceptually more than artists or specific people, I definitely think Anifa for sure. I think that was only the beginning. Her show was so legendary that I don't see her career being short-lived at all. I think she is only going to continue to give us more. Her show actually had to move over from The Hanifa uh, official page over to her Hanifa Bridal page, so she's got range as far as what she can actually design and create. So I think that that in and of itself is is exciting. Um, I will say that any brand with a sustainability and social focus is a brand to pay attention to. Um, The Bear Scouts is a brand that I've been paying attention to for a while, and I think the work that they're doing is incredible. I also am, am excited because Um, some of the people that we're familiar with, like, uh, Kirby of Pier Moss, I think will only continue to see him expand. I think his collections and the work that he's been doing have been consistent since he, you know, graduated and started designing. Um, I've been so overwhelmed with rewatching some of his old content because the pulse for social justice has always been there since day one and to have that sort of foresight in an industry that hadn't yet embraced him is something that is he deserves all of his roses now even even people in the industry like Brandis Daniel of Har- Harlem's fashion row she's been doing this work for years as well so i think that there are people who have been about this life for quite some time and this is the mm-hmm. moment where they've been catapulted into into the forefront and i and i'm excited to see where they end up i think you know that might be a promotion uh, for some of these people down the road, at, as creative directors of some of these popular brands that we've grown to love, or even at um, as editor in chiefs of some of the magazines that we've followed, that we've loved over the years, but haven't you know created space for Black creatives in particular. So I think anybody right now who's got sustainability, who's working to you know help our planet, or people who are developing products that will help people, um, are brands that that I'm excited about and the brands that the highlight has been trying to have focus
2: on for sure. Completely. I couldn't have said that better myself. Um, and to add on to Brooke's statement just now, the queer community, the trans community standing up, there's so many amazing houses that are representing, you know, that culture of black trans and it's amazing. Um, house of the Need is a great like house to look up. Everyone needs to look them up right now. They are amazing. They give me life with everything. Dramatic sleeves, all the tool in the world. That's one house to definitely pay attention to. I also think photographers like Tyler Mitchell are only going to grow even further. Even before where we are now, he was already having a moment and being the moment. And now it's really going to set him up for even bigger success and he's only gonna grow further
0: absolutely and I'm also like I'm probably gonna end up doing a separate episode of this but I'm also really excited to see what Samira Nasir is going to do at Harper Bazaar because oh my gosh it's been 153 years before something like this has happened at Hearst she's very you know she she proclaimed Black Lives Matter before She came, she was a fashion director of, was it Vanity Fair or someone else?
2: Yeah, Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair.
0: Yeah, Vanity Fair. And so seeing what she does to this magazine, I am beyond excited.
1: Absolutely. I'm just so, I think it's just perfect timing for this. I also think, you know, I'm so ready for just a grassroots organic promotion of um, underrepresented creatives. I think for so long, we've seen it um, done where we just get one cover and then we've got to wait six months for them to put another person of color on the cover. And I think that this is going to be a moment where we see that we're not a trend. We are not, you know, this is not a fleeting moment. Black people having their moment is not just us talking on our Instagrams and ranting about the things people can do. Like give us our space and our time to show you what we can actually create well you know that because you know the industry has been stealing from us for years but neither here nor there the point I'm trying to make is now (laughs) we actually get to have credit for the work that we've been putting out and any person that they're promoting at this point any media company that is putting a person of color in a leadership position outside of diversity and inclusion chief I am happy to see it applause to her
0: Yes, I know y'all heard Brooke read y'all right. Just, just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> she did. But um, um, so I did allude to the highlight earlier. So I'll go ahead and take this time to ask you guys: Is what's um you want to tell us a little bit more about the highlight? What do you guys have going on? How are you guys sort of working? Do this everything? I'm just going to say this everything.
2: I won't say that it completely changed. Our schedule, we were able to produce some amazing episodes. We called them highlighters on RIG TV, where we've still been interviewing and talking to creatives and people in the industry. So that's been an exciting project for us and a way to keep people informed and and educate them about new creatives that are on the coming up, you know? Um, so that's been a fun project that we've been doing.
1: I'm also really excited because um, as Diego mentioned, you know, this is the work that we started the highlight to do. So it's very interesting to see the industry shift in this way. Um, to some extent, when we started our, our business and kind of started working on what this looked like, uh, meeting with investors and even trying to convince people that Um, the Black fashion industry was something to invest in has been an uphill battle. Um, But now it's interesting to see that the world is, there's a global cry for this sort of um, inclusion. So it's very interesting to sort of fall seamlessly in the the palms of this movement. Um, We're at an exciting point where we've, you know, gotten to a place where we can start to integrate the technology component of our business, so we're really trying to you know, make strategic connections and just make sure we're intentional about all of the relationships that we build from, you know, from day one, um, making sure that the people we, we collaborate with and making sure that the content we put out is in alignment with inclusion, is in alignment with sustainability, um, and is really in alignment with us creating a, medium, a, a media business that has a media for good mission, making sure that the work that we do is responsible first um and not an afterthought or a PR response. So I'm very excited. I'm proud of our work. It's, you know, having a business of any kind is 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 challenging. I think the times have weighed on us very differently. So that component is um is an element that we haven't seen before from pandemic to, you know, epidemic, racial epidemic. So um a revolution. A revolution, exactly. So it's it's challenging, but we're as, an, as entrepreneurs, it's like, this is what we live for. We live for moments like this where we're required to be uncomfortable and to stretch and grow and, and try to create something meaningful in people's lives.
0: You can follow the highlight on Instagram at T-H-E-H-G-H-L-T. Again, that's T-H-E-H-G-H-L-T. Special thanks to Brooke and Diego for participating in this episode. Thank you guys so much. I really do appreciate you. Black in Fashion is written and produced by me, edited by Joelle North. The theme music is from PBT and Production Music Library, and background music for our profile episodes comes from Lakey Inspired. The title is Better Days. Please like, subscribe, review, and rate Black and Fashion 5 stars on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Lastly, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at BLKNFSHN. Again, that's at BLKNFSHN. Just like the logo. Thanks for listening.